Welcome everyone to this episode of CBT Talks. Today we are going to do an overview of the Judges era. Yes, because we like the Judges era. I love the Judges era. It's going to be great. Well, Joel, this is going to be an amazing episode because I personally love the Judges era. And the reason why I love the Judges era is because there are uh, so many uh, interesting stories. And when I say interesting stories, that's code for a lot of blood and gore and war and battles and shocking things where if you're reading the Bible for the first time, uh, you're in the book of Judges, and you're like, wait a minute, I did not know that was in the Bible. And it's like, yeah, some pretty messed up stuff happens in the book of Judges. And so uh, it's just always interesting uh, to see someone read it, read through it like, for the first time, and be able to discuss it. Of You know, you have the sanitized Judges stories, and then you have all the other Judges stories of like, well, we couldn't really fit that into the Veggie Tales version because it's too graphic. Um. <laughs> yeah, and it, you know, you're, it's messed up absolutely because of uh, the crazy display of the brokenness of man. You mm-hmm. have the, the, the general statements that there was no king in Israel during these days, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's almost like you're watching the primetime news every day in America. Yeah. Here's all the sin that happens when people just throw God's word behind their backs. So, you know, obviously, we love this. Because, I mean, you know, we are, we are attracted to watching others sin. Mm-hmm. You know, think about our culture right now. We really are entertained by, primarily by other people sinning. We are attracted to the stories of mm-hmm. brokenness and, and the extreme shock value of the crazy things people do when they just walk further and further and further away from mm-hmm. God being the sovereign king of their lives. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you touched on uh, one of the big themes in the the era of the judges, and that is, you know, when people read through the Bible, uh, especially for the first time, they go into it with a lot of preconceptions about what they think the Bible's about. And usually, whenever you're like in the Old Testament, they think, okay, if this story has Israelites, right, people from Israel, those are probably the good guys. And then whoever isn't Israelites, those are the bad guys. Um, that's kind of like what we're primed to think of. And so sometimes when we just jump into a story of the Bible, we assume that there's going to be a good guy and there's going to be a bad guy and they're going to have some conflict but God is going to make sure the good guy wins. Like that's that basic like Disney Channel story. Well, you get into the book of Judges, and there's a few times you're going through it, and as you're reading a story, you're like, wait, who's supposed to be the good guy in this? Because everyone is sinning horribly. And it's like, well, I'll tell you who the good guy is, who the hero is in the book of Judges. Uh, It's God. Uh, And you should not assume that just because someone has their name in the Bible that that means that they are a good person. And the reason why the book of Judges really illustrates this is because whenever we talk about judges, uh, like judges in the book of Judges, 
we assume that those judges must be like strong, awesome, amazing followers of God and obedient. And then you read about some of the judges and you realize, wait a minute, just because they were a judge, that does not mean that they were walking with the Lord. And all a judge really is, if you really try to boil it down to its simplest definition, is these are just military leaders. Uh, that's primarily what they did and, and what they functioned as. So as you're reading through the book of Judges, um, it's described in CBT circles uh, as a, a cycle of, of sinfulness where, you know, uh, when you have a judge ruling, like it's up here and people start obeying the Lord, uh, and then they continue on for some time, that judge dies, eventually passes away, and then things start getting worse and worse and worse, and then eventually it gets so bad, they get taken over, they get oppressed by foreign power, they cry out to God, save us, save us, so he sends in a judge, and that judge frees them from that bondage and, and slavery and oppression, then things are good for a little bit, and then that judge dies, and it goes through this cycle over and over, but every time it goes through this cycle, things are just getting progressively worse and worse and worse. So at the beginning of the book of Judges, you get the impression that the majority of Israel, the majority of the tribes are, are still attempting to follow God's laws. And by the end of the book of Judges, uh, you have to question, like, have any of them ever even heard of God before? <laughs> like, this is, this is crazy. It's insane. It, it is insane. And this happens over and over throughout history as we look at each era and, and we take each era out of that story and then place it back in. Mm-hmm. There, there, there are overarching sin cycles where mm-hmm. God's people, uh, they, they fail to pass God's instructions, promises, and prohibitions mm-hmm. on to the next generation. And as a result, there, there's just a rapid spread of sin. Mm-hmm. The great thing that the book of Judges shows us and the Judges era in this sin cycle is that when God's people repent, mm-hmm. God uh, God honors repentance mm-hmm. and and he honors his covenant that he has entered into with his people all in an effort to reveal who he is, that he is perfect in justice and perfect mm-hmm. in in mercy. But when God's people repent, God God acts on their behalf and he forgives. And it's very interesting that we see God raising up judges who who are primarily military leaders, mm-hmm. but you see you see also this this concept that really began with Moses as the people uh, need mediation mm-hmm. through God's law. Yeah. They they need a judge to mm-hmm. to make a decision. Here's what God's law says. Here's the correct interpretation yeah. in this specific mm-hmm. instance. But you see that God uses messed up, broken people to accomplish His will. Mm-hmm. It's not a prerequisite that you are perfect for God to be able to use you to accomplish His purposes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's this this interesting theme all throughout Scripture, especially in Judges. Yep. You can either be used of God in a a joyous, rejoicing, peaceful, amazing way, or you can be used of God through His wrath. Yes. So, and and I think one of the 
best judges to explain kind of how you can be used through God's wrath is actually arguably the most famous of the judges, known as the strongest man uh, who's ever lived. However, uh, we're going to discuss that a little bit if he actually was the strongest man uh, who ever lived. Wow. Uh, That's going to be interesting. Oh, it it will be. Uh, So, uh, Joel, why don't you, you give just a brief interview and start our discussion on probably the most famous of the judges. And if you saw the Bible uh, History Channel series, uh, they had Samson in full dreads, and I thought it was amazing. And I just need to throw that out there. If you haven't seen that version of Samson, because we know he had long hair, they put him in dreads, and it looked awesome. Uh, and he looked he looked like this amazing warrior. But tell us about Samson. Hey, I I envision Samson as this amazing looking dude. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. I think Thor is a probably the best picture of what Samson must have looked like. Yeah. But you know, I I, I love Samson. I always have loved Samson. I I a lot of times I I, I run and so there are times out in the country where dogs mm-hmm. from someone's yard comes chasing after me. And I envision myself, you know, this is either, if this dog attacks me, this is either going to go really, really horribly, yeah. or I'm going to be filled with the strength of, of Samson. Mm-hmm. And I am going to just turn on that dog and, and just take his mouth like Samson took that line mm-hmm. and just rip it man and i mean even right now as i do it i i, I feel like mm-hmm. it is definitely possible you heard it right here folks joel so, hates dogs i don't hate dogs i i don't want to be attacked by a dog <laughs> and and i just i just wonder if maybe it, it there's another place in scripture mm-hmm. where this kind of strength is is mentioned and it's it's really inferred, but David mentions this when he's talking to Saul right before yep. David goes to fight Goliath. Mm-hmm. David says, look, I, I've, I, I've killed lions and bears mm-hmm. yep. with, with my bare hands. Mm-hmm. And, and so Samson's not the only place in Scripture where God fills uh, one of his servants mm-hmm. with this kind of strength. But we know Samson for his strength. But here's the interesting thing about Samson's story. Mm-hmm. Why does Samson lose his strength when mm-hmm. his hair is cut? So that that's what's really interesting yep. to me, and what I'd like to kind of dig into. Um, there's there's a couple of basic observations about Samson. Samson mm-hmm. is a man of many women, first yep. of all. So you 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 see, no matter you don't really get a lot of details about Samson's dedication to the Lord, although he was a Nazarite from birth. We'll mm-hmm. talk about that. But I just want to make this observation. He was a man of many women mm-hmm. and very, well, let's just say never. You never see a man of many women make out very well in yep. Scripture. Mm-hmm. You, you don't see it in our day either. But, you know, Proverbs 31 mm-hmm. The, the mother is, is teaching her son. Many people mm-hmm. think this is Sam's, uh, Solomon's mother teaching yep. him. But she makes this interesting uh, exhortation to her son. Mm-hmm. She says in Proverbs 31, Do not give your strength to women, nor your ways to that which destroys kings. Mm-hmm. It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine mm-hmm. or for princes 
intoxicating drink, lest they drink and forget the law and pervert justice of all the afflicted. So she goes on to say, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. Mm-hmm. And she, she goes on later to say, open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all those who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge rightly, and mm-hmm. plead the cause of the poor and needy. I, I think this is an interesting uh, connection to make in, in, in placing Samson and his character into a context of, mm-hmm. of Scripture because what, what this mm-hmm. mother is saying to her son in Proverbs 31, who is going to be a king, mm-hmm. is do not be the kind of man that wastes your life on a long line mm-hmm. of women. And she just, she just says, don't waste your strength on what destroys kings. Uh, in other yeah. words, you need to be the kind of man that wants mm-hmm. so much responsibility mm-hmm. that you cannot take a night off. It, don't waste your life on a long line mm-hmm. of women, and, and don't waste your life on strong drink. Yep. So when we look at Samson's life, just, just global mm-hmm. core truth, you know, when we focus our lives on pleasure and we have the power, authority, or the means to satisfy mm-hmm. those pleasures, we ultimately end up distorting reality. And so this is what happens to Samson. Mm-hmm. So regardless of how he starts off, at some point he became a guy so driven by his pleasures, mm-hmm. he probably realized uh, this amazing strength that he had, this calling that he had from God, mm-hmm. this position of power, and he began to use his power to satisfy his pleasures, mm-hmm. distorting God's purpose for his life. And he loses perspective on a few things. He loses perspective on who God is. Mm-hmm. Now, all throughout the judges' era, this these sin cycles that yep. keep repeating, God is zealous for his people. Mm-hmm. The reason the, the Israelites keep getting taken over by foreign nations and conquered by them and oppressed by them is because mm-hmm. God takes his hand off and, and gives them over to that yep. discipline, to that punishment, because they, they fall into sin. And so uh, all through this, though, God is zealous for his people. The reason Samson has been raised up is, is because uh, God is zealous for his people who have repented. Samson's mm-hmm. strength and his position of power um, was not for his benefit, but yep. it was for the people's benefit. Mm-hmm. So Samson loses the perspective of who God is. And, and then you mm-hmm. see it, it, at the end of Samson's long line of women, mm-hmm. this, this woman, uh, Delilah, um, Samson becomes, uh, he becomes a man who loves a woman who does not love him. Mm-hmm. This is so interesting because this is a one-way relationship, and this woman mm-hmm. instead uses him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the, the, the third thing that I just want to point out is that Samson, in, in, as his reality, as reality is distorted in his mind, he loses his identity. Now, he's a Nazarite from birth. Okay, so Nazarite is uh, it described, the Nazarite vow is described mm-hmm. in, in number six, 
he he, he separates himself to the Lord, mm-hmm. um, and and you know Paul says in Romans one one that he is separated for the gospel. Yep. Uh, you know, so so this is a a vow where someone is separating themselves to the work of the Lord, to the purposes mm-hmm. of of the Lord. It's a very special. Uh, commitment and covenant with the Lord. So a Nazarite is not to have wine or strong drink. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, during this time of separation, they don't get a night off yep. or, or, or a day off. There's no day drinking or mm-hmm. night drinking allowed for a Nazarite. Mm-hmm. They, they don't, they're not allowed to eat anything that is produced by the grapevine, either the yep. seeds or the skin. So there's no chance for fermentation, distortion, yep. or loss of soberness, right? No uh, razor mm-hmm. can touch their head. In other words, they don't cut their hair. Yep. We'll talk about that in a second. And they, mm-hmm. they're not allowed to be around uh, a dead body. So they can't touch a dead body yep. or go near a mm-hmm. dead body. Why? Well, because this is a special separating out for God's purposes. God is holy. His mission is mm-hmm. holy. And uh, just like the gospel calls us to lose our mm-hmm. lives uh, for its sake, um, the Nazarite loses their life, and they are completely mm-hmm. and wholly dedicated to the purpose of the Lord. Now, when it comes to Samson's hair, mm-hmm. right? Because this is key to understanding. Um, really, it's key to understanding the Judges era, but it's it's key to understanding Samson's story. The length of the Nazarite's hair is is a it's it's really like a it's a calendar. Mm-hmm. It 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 is a physical display of the time that this Nazarite has been set apart to the Lord. Mm-hmm. So the longer the hair is on the Nazarite, as you look at this guy, you can see that he has been set apart to the Lord for this special purpose for that amount of mm-hmm. time. So when when his hair is finally cut, he has no idea the next morning mm-hmm. that the Holy Spirit is no longer with him. Yep. And and so you see what what ultimately happens to Samson is he completely mm-hmm. loses his understanding and sense of of identity that that his mm-hmm. hair is not. The length of his hair is not the source of his strength. The, yeah. the length of his hair is simply a testimony for how long he has been separated out to the Lord. Well, when he finally allows mm-hmm. that to, uh, the, he allows his hair to be cut because he's chasing after satisfying his pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, it, well, at that point, at that point, God, God says, "Okay, there, there is no." public witness outside of this man's worldview, and there is no yep. internal acknowledgement of his separation to the Lord in this man's worldview. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord takes his mm-hmm. hand off of him, and he completely loses the giftedness that God had given him, mm-hmm. which God intended to use to deliver the the people. So, you know, in the same way, that Samson was in this one-way, unreciprocated love relationship with this woman. Mm-hmm. God is in a one-way, unreciprocated love relationship with Samson. Mm-hmm. You cannot play games with God. 
Do not be mocked. Uh, excuse me. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will mm-hmm. reap. And so you, you see in, in Samson's life, although God raised him up for a judge, mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a Christophany as, as Jesus shows up to mm-hmm. Samson's mother and says, your son's going to be a Nazarite from yeah. birth. Even though, this, even though Samson has, has been called out from birth to be mm-hmm. a Nazarite, Samson chooses, rather than submit to God's will for his life and his people, mm-hmm. Samson chooses to use his calling and his power to please himself. Mm-hmm. Chases after women, ignores God's law, ignores God's zeal for His people, mm-hmm. and in in the end, we get to see a a valuable picture of God's wrath described again mm-hmm. in Romans one, where God just takes His hand off of someone who rejects Him. Mm-hmm. But in the end, we also see God's mercy, mm-hmm. and just like the people of Israel when they repent during the Judges era, God. Yeah, restores his relationship with him. When Samson repents, God accomplishes his purposes mm-hmm. in Samson, and he, he wins a great victory. There's a neat application to what is going on in Samson's life and in, in, in really what is happening right now in the Southern Baptist Convention. We have mm-hmm. a, a presidential candidate this last year, Mike Stone, mm-hmm. suing Russell Moore because he says that Russell Moore cost him the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention, yep. in which he says that he could have had $750,000 of earning potential. Yep. Now, when I, when I look at Samson, and then I look at what is happening in, in, in just church politics and leadership today, mm-hmm. it is a stark reminder that there is no such thing as power in God's economy when it comes to leadership. Mm-hmm. When you look at, at God's definition of leadership, it is always the first shall be last, mm-hmm. the last shall be first. And, and so leadership, it, as Jesus lives that out, mm-hmm. is about laying your life down. Yeah. It, is about, it is about relinquishing power to elevate God's, mm-hmm. God's servants, God's people. So the, the call to leadership and the position of leadership for Samson was not to be used for his benefit. Yep. And neither is it to be used for our benefit in our day. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I believe you know, we are in somewhat of a sin cycle, judges era mindset yep. in our American Christian worldview. <laughs> Um, and, and I think this is a powerful story that can remind us that, that, that mm-hmm. we, should, we should evaluate our own, our own desires and, and ambitions mm-hmm. when it comes to influence and, and, and leading others. And, and, and we should put that evaluation into the context of what we see happen to Samson. So a, a few things about about Samson's story that, that I just want to highlight and make sure that we don't, uh, even though we don't have time to get into everything, and man, I wish we could. We could do a whole episode on, on every one of the judges. Um, but one of the cool things about the story of Samson is if someone has it in their mind that if someone is like called out by God for a specific purpose, oftentimes we assume that the reason they're called out is because they must be 
morally a good person. Uh, and the second we make that mistake, not only are we underestimating the sovereignty of God, but we're also underestimating uh, the depravity of man. And so the cool thing about the Samson story is that he was called out even before he was born. Uh, according to God's purpose, he was going to be a judge. He was set apart by a Nazarite vow. God was going to use him to deliver Israel from the Philistines. That was going to happen. God spoke it. He's never wrong. Like you, you can you can bank on it. But here's the thing. So God has declared what's going to happen in the future, but Samson is still human, which means he has free will. He can choose whether to obey and submit to God or reject God. Same choice that all of us have. And when you read about Samson's life, it is apparent from the very beginning, this guy does not care about obeying the Lord. And he does not care about submitting to his laws. If you read through his life, you, it is hard to find a single story or an example where he is even somewhat morally defensible. You should read about his life and come to the conclusion that Samson was one of the worst people like in the Bible when you read through it. And the woman that he loves in this one-way love, um, she is just a prostitute. He already has multiple wives. He already has taken multiple women, and he finds just this next prostitute named Delilah and decides that he's just going to start sleeping with her because he does not care about those statutes and those uh, rules of God. And so just right off the bat, I want to point out, God has declared something that is going to happen. Samson is going to deliver Israel from the Philistines. But we also know that Samson is choosing to ignore God's laws, to ignore his commands, to live a sinful lifestyle. And so we're trying to figure out how, how do you reconcile that? Well, I like to describe it as this. You know, God is like a, he's a divine chess master, right? And it's like if, if you've ever played a game of chess, uh, you know the, the goal, the way you win the game is to get your opponent in checkmate. And when you get your opponent in checkmate, what that means is no matter what you freely choose to do, I'm still going to be able to take your king in the next move. No matter what you freely choose to do, my will is still going to be accomplished. And so how does God's sovereign will, sovereign will get accomplished in Samson's story despite the fact that he is rejecting God? Well, here's how it gets accomplished. God, like you said, humble Samson, removes his hand and his power off Samson's life. Samson then experiences the full results of his sinful choices, of all of the evil deeds that he has done. He is taken by the Philistines. He is beaten. He's, in, he's imprisoned. His head is completely shaved, and his eyes are gouged out. And he ends up uh, chained to a pillar uh, on the, the underflooring of this large structure that has the Philistines' uh, commanders in it. And he is there being flogged and mocked as a testimony to the Philistines defeating their enemy, Samson. This is the state that he's in fully experiencing uh, all the results of his sinful choices. It's at that point he decides to repent. And when he decides to repent, uh, this is what it says in Judges, uh, if I can pull this up here, uh, in Judges chapter 
16. Uh, it says here, uh, verse 28, Then Samson <clears throat> called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right, his right hand on one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, "Let me die with the Philistines." Then he bowed with all of his, then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed in his death were more than those he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all of his family came down and took him, brought him up, and buried him between Zor and Eshtal in the tomb. Moana, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. So we see the last moments of his life. He repents, he prays, calls upon the Lord, and he asks God to give him strength just one more time, knowing that this action of bringing down the building would also cost his own life. But he's finally fulfilling God's uh, called upon destiny in his life of God using Samson to bring judgment on the Philistines and save Israel from that oppression. And so it's one of those things where what God said was going to happen is exactly what happened. But the way that you got there was dependent upon Samson's choices in life. He did not choose to submit to God and to obey God and have a lifestyle of him doing amazing things uh, and God allowing him to live to a ripe old age, judging Israel. Instead, he rejected God. So God allowed him to suffer the consequences of his sins. And upon his repentance, God, again, because God always keeps his word, uh, gave him the strength once again to defeat the Philistines. Um, one other thing I want to point out real fast. This is a question I'm asked every single time I teach about Samson. And that is, why did Samson tell Delilah that if his hair was cut, he'd lose his strength. And for years, I also didn't really understand why in the world Samson would ever tell her the secret to his strength. But you know, if you read through the story, God never tells Samson, uh, never tells Samson that your hair being cut is what's going to make you lose your strength. He's never told that. And we see him blatantly ignore the Nazarite vow over and Several over times. and over. And so we see as he's sleeping with Delilah the prostitute, and she's asking him what, uh, what is it that causes him to have strength and what would make him lose his strength. He's just throwing out random stuff. Oh, yeah, do that, I'll lose my strength. Do that, I'll lose my strength. When he tells her, oh, yeah, cut my hair, then I'll lose my strength. When he tells her that, I, I fully believe that he did not think he would lose his strength because of that. Because he's already broke the Nazarite vow so many other ways and still retained his strength. And when he wakes up in that morning, um, he does not even notice, he doesn't even sense that the Spirit of the Lord has left him and his strength was not there. So he is bound and gagged and beaten uh, by a small number of Philistines compared to what he was able to do before. And you really get this picture that up until this point, Samson really did think that his strength was his own, and it would never leave him, and it would never fail him. And because of who he was, he was just always going to be the absolute strongest. He stopped realizing that the only strength he had was the strength that came from the Lord. Uh, you mentioned a good parallel earlier of you know David, who was also a mighty warrior of God, who killed tens of thousands of enemy soldiers. 
we see that his strength, according to his testimony, also came from the Lord. But we see him give credit to the Lord for his strength. Uh, and so, just so you know, in my opinion, who would win in a fight between Samson and David? My money is on David. Uh, because when the Spirit of the Lord left Samson, he couldn't even handle uh, a dozen Philistines. Uh, so I'm just saying that that's, that's what happened. But it's one of those things where you're reading the story of Judges, and you shouldn't assume that just because someone is famous, like Samson, or someone is a judge, like Samson, or someone is even called out by God, like Samson, don't assume that they are a morally good person. Don't assume that they are in a right relationship with the Lord. And don't assume that they are the hero of the story. And I think if you read the story of Samson, that is the picture that you get. We focus way too much on how strong he was and not enough about him suffering the consequences of his sin and having to repent for the Lord uh, to allow him to fulfill what he was called out to do. Well, and you know, you look at his strength, that's just simply what God gifted him in order mm-hmm. to accomplish the purpose of delivering the people yeah. uh, during this season of trial from the Philistines. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, think, mm-hmm. I think by this point, Samson is completely disoriented about uh, who he is and who God is mm-hmm. and who God has called him to be. And and so I I really I, I think as as you look at that story of him and, and Delilah and those those nights that she spent trying to find the secret to his mm-hmm. his strength, I think that that what's happening there is and I don't I'm not well versed in this sphere of life, so I may get this wrong, but I I think what's going on there is some some sadomasticism. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's some there's some sexual games there. Mm-hmm. I haven't read the book nor seen the movie, but heard uh, maybe maybe in the area of mm-hmm. of the series Shades of Gray. Is that the name of the book? Shades Fifty Shades of 50, Gray. Fifty Shades of Gray. I think Gray, they yes. made other ones, but I don't know what but, they're called. But I, I I know that there's there's that 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 part of uh, of of distortion of what God has created in the union between a, a man and a wife that where where people just mm-hmm. attempt to hurt each other and yep. and I think this I think that's what's going on I think Samson is completely immersed in satisfying his physical pleasures mm-hmm. and he and this woman are engaging in in night after night of you know it, I think she's. I think. She, I think it is a sexual game where she is trying to hurt him, and uh, mm-hmm. it, or at least in his mind, and and so I, I think you know. I, I think what the explanation you just gave is is perfectly acceptable, and 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 you know. Although to be fair, the scripture never says that she's a prostitute uh, mm-hmm. explicitly. Yeah. Um, now, right before he falls in love with Delilah uh, mm-hmm. scripture falls in lust in yeah. The, well yeah <laughs> I mean it, it and you know uses the word he loves her um, mm-hmm. and but he, he before he enters into that relationship with Delilah he, the last encounter he had was a prostitute mm-hmm. so I mean this is who Samson is I mean yeah. he is just going from from woman to woman to woman. I want to point out, though, just the, the, the overarching story of his life. 
he's it's not like Samson it just was always wicked probably mm-hmm. we don't get the details of yep. of his upbringing and, and growing mm-hmm. up but he's a Nazarite from birth he's taught God's word he he knows the he, he knows enough of the story because when he does get into trouble who does he call on mm-hmm. God what does he do he repents so he knows what God expects from his people in covenant with him and and over the course of his life you see God training him in righteousness and and so from his from Samson's perspective you made the point he's broken the Nazarite law so many times it's not even funny with seemingly no consequence yep. none mm-hmm. and so over the course of his life he just begins to have this view of God that you know God God didn't care what yep. I do he's not really concerned with mm-hmm. holiness and yep. righteousness and so why mm-hmm. why not in this moment of pleasure let this girl cut my hair. Yep. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, that was the final straw for God mm-hmm. because that, that was the last physical as evidence yep. that he belonged to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, very, very interesting story with a lot of, 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 of connections throughout Scripture yep. and parallels to, to our lives today as mm-hmm. leaders. And, you know, we could spend hours and hours dissecting the story of Samson, but we're going to move on just for time's sake, because there's several other stories, several other characters. have we ever been worried about time? I'm always worried about time, because on the first take on all these episodes, on the draft where we talk about everything we want to mention, we realized every episode would be five, six hours long, <laughs> usually. But, you know, I, I want to talk about, if Samson was a judge where when you read about his story, you realize, well, he it doesn't seem like he was that concerned about following God. There's another judge. Um, that I want to touch on real fast, uh, named Deborah, or some people say Deborah. Uh, however you want to pronounce it, Deborah or Deborah, I just say Deborah because that's what I always was told Big how D. to pronounce that name. Big D. Big D. Uh, Debbie. Debbie, Deborah, Deborah. Uh, this is an amazing uh, woman of God. And the reason why I can say that is because not only was she a judge, she was also a prophetess. Uh, and we have her story starting in, in Judges 4. And so I, I just want to say right there at the beginning, uh, just in case uh, you've ever heard the accusation against God that he is sexist um, or that he doesn't care about women, we have here an example of a man who was a judge named Samson who suffered the full consequences of his sin. Now we have an example of a woman who was a judge named Deborah, and she was also called a prophetess. And she was of such high acclaim that when Israel was about to go to war, um, and she said, you know, if, if I go out and fight, people will say a woman is commanding your army, and, you know, you don't want to do that because you're all such manly men. And they said, yeah, but we still need you because you are that awesome and amazing. That's the kind of woman that Deborah was. But what I want to uh, just point out with her story actually is, I think, a really good example on how we can learn through reading through the entire story of the Bible, how we're supposed to interpret the Bible, whether it be literally or metaphorically. There is uh, Judges chapter 4 and 5, where we have God 
describe, uh, in his word, the same event two different ways. We have in Judges chapter 4, God give the historical account uh, of uh, this woman who kills this enemy king by driving a tent peg through his temple. This is in Judges chapter 4, starting in verse 21. This is like at the end of that story. I encourage you to read all of chapter 4 and 5 to get a good idea. But this is the historical account of of how this man died. Then Jael, Herber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple and it went down into the ground for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then Barak pursued Syria. Of course he died when that happened. Jael came out to meet him, said to him, Come, I'll show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. So here's the historical account of how this uh, enemy king who was fleeing died. He took a nap in a tent, thought it was safe because there was only a woman there. She took a tent peg and drove it through his temple with a hammer all the way through into the ground, and he died. What we have next in Judges chapter 5 is Deborah singing a song to commemorate these events. Uh, starting in chapter 5, verse 1, Then Deborah and Barak, son of Abimim, sang on that day, saying, When the leaders uh, led in Israel, when the people willingly offered themselves, Bless the Lord, hear, O kings, give ear, O princes. Even I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched in the field of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. The clouds poured water. The mountains gushed before the Lord. Now, We can go through a lot of details here, but what you have is the historical account of the events that happened. And then you have some prophetic language and some uh, metaphorical language that describe the same event. And it says here in this song by Deborah commemorating the event that just happened that, you know, the earth trembled and the heavens poured. Um, When the Bible saying that, we're not supposed to say, hey, look, the Bible's contradicting itself because it said the earth trembled, but in the last chapter it didn't mention an earthquake, so the Bible must be wrong. Like, no, no, it's the Bible will give historical accounts of what happens. Then the Bible will also describe the events in metaphorical language. And the reason why I love uh, hearing the story of Deborah, the way God outlined this, is he gives the historical account and then he gives the metaphorical song to commemorate it right next to each other, literally side by side in Scripture so that we can understand, listen, as you read through the Bible, depending on the type of, uh, of genre, that a particular passage is in, that's how you're supposed to read it. So anyone who thinks that you're never supposed to take anything the Bible says as a metaphor, like, no, you have to take it literally or you don't believe in the Bible. I'm like, okay, well, what about Judges 4 and 5? Because we have the historical account, then we have the song commemorating it. The song, as songs are and poems are, are written metaphorically. Then the historical account is written very literally in great detail. She took the tent peg, got a hammer, drew it through his temple. It went out the other side. He was on the ground because he was fast asleep, and now he's dead. Like That's the very basic outline. So people who think, hey, 
when you read through the Bible, you have to take everything literally. There's no such thing as metaphor. You don't really believe in God. It's like, that's wrong. And people who read the Bible and say everything is a metaphor and nothing really happened, they're also wrong. Here we have an example of historical account and the song to commemorate it. And so as you're reading through the Bible, one of the lessons that you can learn, especially through this chronological approach, is you're not supposed to read the Bible uh, in a strictly literal sense. You're not supposed to read the Bible in a strictly metaphorical sense. You're supposed to read the Bible seriously. And so if it is trying to teach you something through metaphor, read it as a metaphor. And if it says this is the historical account, you better believe that is the historical account. Uh, mm -hmm. Let the Bible define the way you are supposed to interpret it. And there's so many examples in Scripture of, of this same thing, but that's just something I wanted to point out right away because people do have those hard lines, and they think that even when the Bible is clearly giving a metaphor or using uh, figurative language, and they're like, no, that's not a metaphor. I'm like, no, there's so much in the Bible that is metaphor. When we say that Jesus is the Lamb of God, like we don't literally actually mean that when Mary gave birth, it, he came out a lamb. That's not what we mean. Elsewhere, we see him described as the Lion of Judah. We don't think that Jesus is a literal lion. It is a metaphor, and we're supposed to understand those metaphors by looking elsewhere in Scripture. At the same time, some people think that the Bible is completely metaphor and there is no historical account, and they're like, it's all just fairy tales. I'm like, no, it's not. Read Judges chapter, chapters 4 and 5. You have an historical account. You have the song to commemorate it. Let the Bible define how you interpret it. Absolutely, and I, I think that's the power of the CBT uh, process, reading the Bible mm -hmm. chronologically, using the 14 eras, and, and, and really, really learning to ask four types of questions, mm -hmm. fact-finding questions, what does the text say, mm -hmm. inferential questions, what does this text teach us about God, what yeah. does this text teach us about man, about sin, about, mm -hmm. so uh, connecting questions, where else have we seen this, or, yeah. or where else do we see this, and then application questions, and learning to ask the right questions of the text does something very powerful. It sets a correct hermeneutic yep. so that as we, as we look at these stories and, and we're, we're, we're not chasing rabbits mm -hmm. that, that are leading us off into things that really sometimes questions that can't be answered, yep. we learn to ask the right questions of the text. For instance, yep. we come to Judges 4 and 5, the, the right and the right question mm -hmm. to ask is not, was there an earthquake? Yeah. There's not enough evidence here to give us yep. one way or the other. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were to say, Joel, was there a literal earthquake or was this a metaphorical uh, description of the power of God in yeah. this song? You know what my answer would be? It would have to be. I have no idea. Yep. Neither did we get details mm -hmm. in this historical account, yep. nor did she give enough detail in her song to, to even let us know mm -hmm. what the intent. We, we would have to have integrity intellectually and say, it could, there could have yep. been an earthquake, or she is just articulating the power of God as yep. he moved in 
in the yeah. life of his people. But the right question is, it's some of the right questions, what does this teach us about how God views women? Yeah. That he raises up this woman during this time and, and she is judging Israel. Mm-hmm. It, what, what does this text teach us about the, the organization of responsibility and, and, and mm-hmm. just the, I didn't, organizational responsibility is not mm-hmm. what I'm trying to, but the organization of the, of the nation during this time. Well, yeah. we have a, a judge. What does the text say? We have a, we have a judge who's a woman. She's sitting under uh, a, a tree. It looks to be, or it could be a the name of a location, but there's also commanders mm-hmm. that she summons one of them, uh, yeah. Barak or Barak or Bayrak or <laughs> you know, Barak. She she summons Barak, yeah. one of the commanders. Apparently, God has already told this guy to go and and do what needs to be done, and yeah. she's calling him to task. Mm-hmm. Um, what 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 does what is what does this text teach us mm-hmm. ab- about uh, about how God uses this woman, mm-hmm. um, and and what does that teach us about the role of women in the people of God in the economy of God, and mm-hmm. and we see very clearly that 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 you know Deborah is used of God with no regard for her gender yep. in, in, in this story. Mm-hmm. And so we, we have to come away from this story understanding that, that not only does God raise up a woman to judge Israel and to help them interpret mm-hmm. his law, but he also uses a woman to end mm-hmm. this battle and deliver the, the people when everyone yep. knows that the glory for ending this mm-hmm. battle should go to the commander of the army who is getting it done. Yeah. But because of his unfaithfulness, because of his, you know, his wimpiness, mm-hmm. God allows this, you know, who, 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 who is Jael? You know, mm-hmm. who is she? Um, she's the wife of Heber. That's mm-hmm. what Scripture yeah. tells us. So instead of this whole conflict being uh, ended by the person who's supposed to end it, the commander and the yeah. army, and the men who go and fight to protect yeah. the women and children, mm-hmm. God takes this wife yeah. and says, no, she's going to give the glory. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think you know, what, what you just described is, is, is exactly why CBT exists. We have to learn what the right questions are yep. to ask of the text in order for us to begin to understand what God is revealing, how he is acting, and how he is carrying out his purposes over the passage of time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, speaking of God using women uh, and weaving them into uh, the story of redemption and his story throughout all of Scripture, um, as we describe this time of judges, this awful sin cycle where things are just getting worse and worse and worse and worse, and you're reading the book of Judges and you're starting to get a little depressed because they're like, it seems like everyone keeps making the wrong decisions. Uh, every time a new generation is raised up in Israel, they're, they're worse than the previous. But there's also a story that happens during the time of the Judges. But if you've never read the Bible chronologically, you might not realize that this is when this story takes place. And it is uh, one of my personal favorite stories 
uh, in the Bible, and it's the story of Ruth and Naomi. Now, uh, the story of Ruth and Naomi is is pretty simple, um, and it is a story that's often taught in churches, but people usually don't realize that this story actually takes place during the Judges era. So this is an example of Ruth, who is a Moabite, but she chooses to align herself with God's people. She chooses to follow her mother-in-law back uh, to Israel. She chooses to uh, join the nation. She marries uh, uh, Boaz, right? Yes. 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 Uh, I said it. I know that story. Like I said it, but then as soon as the word came out of my mouth, I had that, that whisper in my head, <laughs> are you getting your Bible characters mixed up? And I'm like, I better not be because we're live. So, uh, Mary Boaz, she is grafted into the lineage of Jesus Christ, this Moabite woman. And all of this takes place during the time of Judges. So during this time where it seems like all the leaders, where it seems like the majority of people are ignoring God's laws and commands, you have this Moabite woman uh, who follows her mother-in-law, Naomi, back to Israel, who chooses to obey uh, the word of the Lord, uh, going so far as to find a kingsman redeemer. And because of her faithfulness, we have this story of even when uh, the nation as a whole seems to be rejecting God, you have these remnants of people, um, Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz, uh, just as an example, who are committed to following the Lord. We see God honoring their commitment and then weaving Ruth's lineage into the into our roof into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And it's such a powerful testimony of like, you know, just a reminder that even if you are in a nation where it seems like the majority of people are turning away from the Lord, and if you live in America, it certainly seems that way sometimes, uh, there is still a remnant. There are still people, maybe not kings and queens and rulers and, and prophets and judges, but they're just some regular, normal, down-to-earth people, individuals and families who are committed to following the Lord. Uh, so story of Ruth and Naomi takes place uh, at the time of Judges, and it is a wonderful, uh, what was the word? Uh, Reprieve from all of the mess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, it, and it's significant because right before Israel comes out of the wilderness and crosses over to the, the Jordan, right before the book mm-hmm. of Deuteronomy is, 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 is written and spoken you know, yep. to the people as a recounting of the law, the, you have this, this crazy you know, scheme to make the men of Israel fall, and it involves the Moabite women enticing yep. them, seducing them. So you have this idol worship and sexual immorality mm-hmm. that, that involves Israelite men with Moabite women. As a result of this, this happening, God bans all Moabites from ever standing in the congregation of the Lord. Yeah. But we see, just as we saw with Rahab in the mm-hmm. conquest era, who was a judged Canaanite yes. who made her profession of faith in Creator God and mm-hmm. was grafted into the people of God by faith. Mm-hmm. We have Ruth now, a Moabite, uh, excuse me, Moabite S, yes. who was banned from standing in the congregation of the Lord mm-hmm. because of her profession of faith in Creator God, mm-hmm. she was grafted and now is in yep. the lineage of the Messiah. One other, one other amazing woman in the uh, Judges era mm-hmm. is Hannah. Yep. 
And here's this woman who is, her husband is a polygamist. Mm-hmm. She, is, she is loved, but the other woman is the one who is bearing children. And uh, Hannah is distraught by this. And, and this was, would have been very, barrenness would have been very devastating, not just because it is devastating in and of itself, mm-hmm. but it, it, was, it was especially devastating to the Israelite women who wanted mm-hmm. to be faithful to the Lord because God's promise of the Messiah was wrapped up in the promise of a seed to the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. Also mm-hmm. to the multiplication of the children of Abraham mm-hmm. so that they would number as the stars in the sky yeah. and the, the sand on the shore and the dust on the earth. So this woman who is, is really, she's loved by her husband, but she's being abused. Yep. She's barren. And she, she goes into the temple, cries out to the Lord. The, the priest has never seen someone cry out to the Lord like that. So he mm-hmm. thinks she's drunk. She is just simply asking God to allow her to be a part of his promise, just to allow her the very simple pleasure of being used by him as a woman to fulfill his promise to multiply the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And God answers her prayer and gives her a son, Samuel. And she has told God that she will dedicate the son that God gives her to him. And Samuel ends up growing up in the temple and becoming a priest of the Lord and a prophet. And ultimately, it is Samuel that anoints David as king of That's Israel. Right. And, and so you have in the judges era a sin cycle and mm-hmm. a, a period of 400, 450 years of just absolute despicable depravity, not from pagan cultures, but from God's own covenant people. Mm. And in the midst of all of that messiness, you you do have stories of faith. Mm. And, and, And like you just said, Jake, God always has a remnant. He told this to Elijah when Elijah ran after the 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 showdown mm-hmm. on Mount Carmel, Jezebel was after his life, he runs and says, "God, kill me." God says, "Son, get up mm-hmm. and eat. Yeah. I have more mm. than you." Um, it, it it reminds me of of uh, when when God told Paul when he was in Corinth, "Hey, mm-hmm. no one's gonna harm you. I've got many people." in this city. Yep. And and so it, it's just amazing, even in this horrible depravity, mm-hmm. we see that there are a people of faith who are passing on God's instructions, promises, yep. and prohibitions. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just kind of to, to close this out uh, for the book of Judges, because we are getting close, running out of time, um, what I thought would be cool is just like in, in two minutes, what is the, what is something from this era, uh, from the era of Judges, where if someone hasn't read through the Bible before, you're like, you won't believe this is actually in the Bible. Like, what was the most shocking, surprising thing of like, this is actually in the Bible, but if you've never read through it, uh, chances are you had no idea that it was there. I'm looking for shocking, crazy, this is actually in there. A woman being cut up into pieces and sent to all the tribes of Israel. Ooh. 
can you get more specific? <laughs> well, of course yes. I can get yes. more specific. You have uh, this Levite who's got a concubine, mm-hmm. and uh, this and, is in Judges nineteen, by and, the way. And so she, he is, uh, you know, Travis, she has run away from him. He's mm-hmm. getting her back. He he's taking the journey mm-hmm. and uh, decides to to stop in mm-hmm. uh, among his people, among the the people of. Israel, and so as he, you know, as he stops back, the uh, they're in Gibeah and enters into the house of a man, mm-hmm. and all of the men of the of the city, Israelites, all the men mm-hmm. of the city, uh, come to the door of where he was staying with his concubine, and they pound on the doors, much like the scene we see in Sodom. Yeah, uh, and Gomorrah, mm-hmm. where the men of the the city are pounding on Lot's door, asking mm-hmm. uh, for the for the angels to come out that they may abuse them, um, and so this Levite uh, uh, gives the concubine to these uh, to the to the to the horde, and they rape her all mm-hmm. night, so that when he gets when the Levite gets up in the morning and comes out, he finds her dead on the, the the doorstep and and it is the most disgusting thing I think that you can see. Here it is right mm-hmm. here in scripture and in 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 Judges nineteen he he says well what he does is is he takes a knife, he takes a hold of his concubine and he divides her limb by limb into twelve pieces and sends those 12 pieces throughout Israel. And, and, and everyone who saw it says such a thing has never happened or been seen from the mm-hmm. day that the people of Israel came out of the land of Egypt to this day. Consider it, take counsel, and speak. And so the, all mm-hmm. of this happened. Uh, this was the, the tribe of, of Benjamin. Yep. And man, they call the tribe of Benjamin to account. In fact, that tribe almost gets wiped out because yes. of this event. Uh, and yeah, that's one of the more messed up events uh, towards the end of the book. Well, you Judges. said you wanted shock yes, and yes. all. And, that was and, the and my that. actually mess up event actually happens. Uh, I'd say in that same story, but it's two chapters later in, in chapter twenty-one. This is near the very end of the book of Judges. Here's what happens with that tribe of Benjamin. They realize, well, if this tribe of Benjamin is going to continue to exist, then uh, the men need to have wives. Uh, so that they can bear children. The problem is all the other tribes had already sworn an oath to say that they're not going to give any of their uh, daughters to the Benjaminites to be wives. But all of the uh, former wives and children, the Benjaminites, have been destroyed and put to the sword. And so, like, what are we supposed to do? And in the incredibly depraved state of Israel at this time, this is what... What was and Israel was supposed to be this holy nation obeying the Lord. This is the conclusion that they come to in their sinful state, thinking of this is something that in their twisted minds they thought the Lord would kind of be okay with, but obviously he wasn't. This is like the, the picture of, of sin here. Uh, and I'm just going to start here uh, in verse 16. Just Judges 21, starting verse 16. Uh, then the elders of the congregation, of that's all the tribes of Israel, said, What shall we do for the wives of those who remain since the women of Benjamin have been destroyed? Because they 
killed all the women of the tribe of Benjamin. And they said there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin that a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, we cannot give them wives from all daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives a wife to a Benjamin. And they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh, which is north of Bethel on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem and south of Lebona. Therefore they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go, lie in wait in the vineyards, and watch. And just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh, then go to the land of Benjamin." Then it shall be, when their fathers or brothers come to us to complain, that we will say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not as though you have given the women to them at this time, making yourselves guilty of the oath. And the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives for their number from those who danced, whom they caught. In this messed up scenario, they're like, Well, we've already murdered and killed so many innocent people, but we weren't able to kill all the men from the tribe of Benjamin because some of them fled. But we want to make sure that tribe isn't wiped out. But, I mean, we can't let them marry any of our daughters because we swore an oath. So tell you what, here's a festival going on, neighboring city. Hide and wait, literally, and kidnap their children. And if they come to us and ask us to to rescue their kidnapped daughters, we're going to tell them no. Um that is how awful and horrible and messed up it is. And verse twenty, uh, verse 24 and 25, these are the last two verses in the book of Judges. I think this summarizes and ties it up completely. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. It's the same thing that we see that happens at the end of the book of Joshua, at the end of the conquest era. Um, and remember, Joshua gave that big instruction right before the judges' era started. Every man, when you go to your inheritance, your house, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So they all go to their inheritance, and this is what it says. Verse 25, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They didn't do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They didn't do what was right according to God's laws and commands. They did whatever they felt like doing. And we see the messed up consequences of that kind of mindset and lifestyle. And every time I read this, and I know I've mentioned this before, every time I read this, I just think Disney Channel. I just think like, man, if you want a, a modern translation for everyone did what was right in his or her own eyes, Everyone just followed their heart and ignored God's commands. And man, why are we so surprised when we see some of the messed up things happening in our modern society? Well, part of it is because we are telling our young people, hey, follow your heart. What we should be telling them is, no, follow God. Follow his words and his commands because man's heart is depraved. And when we start following our own desires, like Samson, like uh, the Israelites at the end of the book of Judges, uh, we see sin upon sin upon sin leading to so many consequences. Uh, and we see God's heart breaking uh, because uh, he's sovereign, but he does not 
stop us from choosing to reject him. He always gives us a choice. And uh, we're just suffering in those consequences so often. So you should be shocked and depressed mm. when you get to the end of the book of Judges, but there's still hope because a remnant remains. And we're going to see uh, as we enter into the next era, uh, the United Kingdom era, that there is uh, not only uh, there's not only a, a remnant, there's not only salvation to come, but there's going to be good kings. There's going to be a renewal of the covenant. There's going to be promises. And we're going to see, again, tracking the lineage of Jesus uh, coming from uh, this line of kings as we enter into the next era. The reason I was kind of laughing as you said the United Kingdom yes. is because you always say the United, United Kingdom. kingdom it's era. just the, kingdom. the kingdom era. Yeah. There's a kingdom uh, era, the but kingdom then the next era, one is the divided, divided kingdom, kingdom era. era. Yeah. So I always say we got the United <laughs> Kingdom era, then the divided kingdom era, and I'm aware that it's incorrect. But if I say it enough and I get enough people to start calling it that, eventually, you start a thing. 10 years from now, you're going to say the kingdom era. And they're going to be like, do you mean the United Kingdom era or the divided <laughs> kingdom era? I do the same thing. I always yeah. call the judges era that we were to in today. I always call it the sin, sin cycle, cycle. era. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really fun to know God's word and how important it is for us to know it and pass it on to our own mm-hmm. generation, but also to pass it on to the next generation and you know there's an answer to the problems that we face in this cultural moment Mm -hmm. it's God's word we must discover God's story understand it and then tell it to others that's right well that's it for this episode of CBD talks Uh, I think we ran a little late but I'm not even uh, sad about it because it was all great awesome content I think it probably wasn't all great and awesome Jake but the only people that are really worried about time is is you you have some 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 arbitrary deadline in your head that none of us know about so maybe in a further episode a future episode you can tell us about that anyway i'm joel i'm jake this has been cbt talks have a great week